When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you navigate comedy in the world of cancel culture? Are there certain jokes that are off limits? And should comedians be canceled for going too far? We'll get to all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. years, some of the world's best known comedians have built careers on telling jokes that could be considered offensive. Comedians are known to perpetuate and poke fun at stereotypes and social and cultural norms. But lately, more and more comedians have had to apologize for jokes that they've made not only recently, but also jokes they've told in the past. Times have changed, and so has society. So we're now in a world where the question needs to be asked where to draw the line. Some people can condemn sexism and racism, but still find humor in sexist and racist jokes. For others, finding those jokes funny makes you equally wrong as the person making them. So how do comedians navigate that dichotomy? Well, luckily for me on this podcast, I very often run into a comedian in the elevator bank at Fox News Channel, and he's a guy who knows all about this. Here to talk me through all of these things and more is stand-up comedian and the host of Fox Across America, Jimmy Fela, to talk about cancel culture and comedy. I worked really hard on that alliteration, by the you way, did. Jimmy. That's a lot. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, we've come a long way. I've been on your show a couple of times, yeah, yeah. and I've tried to get you so many times on my show, but mm. I, I wasn't worthy, and then you just started feeling bad for me, and you're like, oh, fine, I'll, I'll finally come on your show. You have to be clear. Change the time of this recording <laughs> 77 times. Like, I, and I'm fine with it. You're right. I, I, it's become fun. Like, I feel like I'm in an escape the room, but it's a reverse escape the room. It's called get on the pod. Yeah, you have to figure out the puzzle of how to do Abby's podcast, but it, it's a high honor to be here. Well, Did that I was, sound convincing? I've been rehearsing it all day. That's, it sounded very good. Okay. Um, to be fair, you are completely right. <laughs> and I was a former athlete, so I think the person who's on my podcast needs to jump through hoops and run sprints. No, I like that about you. <laughs> the people who produce this podcast have to play a zone. You can't be guarded man to man. I'm glad that we're talking the same language. No, I get here. it. I'm with you. Let's get it, man. <laughs> All right. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, you know, comedy has always told the line between offensive, mm -hmm. but also being funny. Mm -hmm. So let's just start by uh, getting your opinion on how do you toe that line? Uh, I mean, the God's honest truth is you hear an adage used a lot in comedy when they say like, you got to read the room, you know, mm -hmm. but that doesn't actually apply to comedy. Like no good comic reads the room. Like our job is to lead the room because we have a microphone. We set the terms of the negotiation and the God's honest truth is you can say anything if it's funny, but the challenge comics have in this day and age, as you know, is we don't get in trouble for what we say in comedy clubs. We get in trouble for when it makes its way onto the internet. You know, the people who right. bought the two drinks that are just there to laugh and bargain in good faith aren't the ones who show up to ruin your career. It's the person who wasn't at the show, oddly enough, who has to go out and download this clip. Like, <laughs> it's on demand. You had to demand 
to get this offensive content into your life and then demand that the person who clearly didn't put a gun to your head to make you watch it should now be fired. But the God's honest truth is for every comic, the way you toe the line, and I do this every day as a sp- specifically as a Fox News talent, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes I'm in mixed rooms that aren't Fox News rooms, um, is I make sure it's understood off the tippy top of the show that these are jokes. These aren't even necessarily my views, but but above all else, they're not hate crimes. Like comedy clubs exist so people can laugh at things that torment them as a means of taking the power away from those torments for a few minutes a day. And that's the point of a comedy club. And it's unfathomable to you as a youngster. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time like when I started out in comedy. This is unfathomable. It's going to blow your mind. But in the immediate aftermath of September 11th, Every comic in New York City was doing jokes about it. Oh, no. No, it wasn't oh, no back then because this is how they (laughs) grieved. It's oh, no, now you'd get fired in a second. But back then, every club was mobbed because people just needed to escape the horror we were all feeling. And so for a lot of people, comedy is a coping mechanism with the traumas, the torments of society. And that's why I am such a fierce protector of it. Because the people, uh, if comedy is censored, lose that coping mechanism. Right. Whereas, whereas the people who don't like it don't have to consume it. It makes sense because they always say, oh, can you please silence your cell phones? Did mm-hmm. you hear that? Did you yeah. hear that right now? Yeah, yeah. Just, that was my that was my um, my email. That was your ankle bracelet from the state. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about your please background. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> Let's talk about your record here for a minute. Are we, it might have been mine. Are we within 500 yes, feet of a school? I, I apologize. <laughs> I won't cancel you for your, that comment. Don't don't you worry. Um, you know, it is interesting because you're right. I, people always say in order to cope, sometimes you just got to laugh at yourself. You go through something hard, you got to laugh about it. So then what's the difference between dark humor, you talk about 9-11, dark humor, and then offensive humor? Well, the thing about offensive humor, and I always say this to everybody as a qualifier, is jokes really are just jokes. No one should be offended by anything. I know that's a pipe dream. That's just not going to be the case. <laughs> but if I was going to give you like a roadmap as to how to consume comedy. Uh, Comedy is a buffet. Okay, if you see something you like, you laugh at it. You throw it on your tray. If you don't like it, no need to make a big deal about it. We all get our own tray. Just keep walking. You don't have to stop because you don't eat macaroni and cheese. Yeah, you and, don't have to throw f- the mac and cheese on the ground. Yeah, well, let alone fire the chef. <laughs> yeah. You have your own tray. You have tongs in front of every one of these you know, things at your disposal. But everybody has such a staggering sense of self-importance that nowadays we got to this place of, you know, when you talk about the difference between dark humor and offensive humor, it's just, it's so subjective, which is why... You know, the, the difference is whatever somebody wants it to be. Like, you could go watch Gilbert Godfrey, who is pound for pound probably the most offensive human being that's ever taken a comedy stage. And you might not get offended by any of it because you know he's a harmless little character who's just goofing off. But some people will take his words and give them a more inflated purpose than they have. Like, when a comedy, let me just be clear. When a comedian is telling a joke, okay, we are, Abby, we are liquor pimps, okay? Our job is to entertain people so they buy two over priced watered down drinks from whoever owns <laughs> They're the They're always so bad. That's a terrible. whole other topic. Why are drinks so bad at comedy so Maybe clubs? that's the problem. Maybe we need to make the comedy drinks stronger, but I know yes. that's not true because I've entertained far too many bachelorette parties to know <laughs> they don't need stronger alcohol. But I think the difference between what's offensive and, not, and what isn't is in the eye of the beholder, which is why I don't think we should ever cancel anybody for a joke because, again, we all have the right not to hear it. You know, Mm. if we were going to talk about Dave Chappelle's special, okay, and maybe we will at some point, I don't mean to steer the bus, but Dave Chappelle's special, you have to pay to get Netflix, 
You then have to demand it. You have to scroll through. And let's be clear. It's not the only option on Netflix. There are six trillion, three hundred ninety five million other options for you on Netflix tonight. If you watch Dave Chappelle's <laughs> Thank you special, for breaking down. You're very good at math. I get the al- an algorithm. <laughs> but if you watch Dave Chappelle's special because you wanted to. OK. Yeah. And then maybe you're a little surprised by what you got out of it. But what he was talking about in his special really quickly. OK. Is he was discussing his relationship with the trans community. Uh, he said that he felt they were too sensitive as an audience. That's what he was joking about. They responded to accusations of being sensitive by boycotting and calling on him to be fired. Imagine I said to you, Abby Hornacek, you're an alcoholic. You're like, no, I'm not. Watch me chug this keg of beer. You just kind of confirmed the guy's <laughs> I'm accusation. I'm now an alcoholic because you just accused me of being an alcoholic, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it works. And if you watch the whole Dave Chappelle special, which was his one bargaining chip, as he said, anybody who wants to discuss this with me, you have to watch the special. Because if you watch the special, uh, he is talking about his relationship with a transgender comedian who did sadly ultimately kill herself. But he set up a scholarship fund for her children which is hardly the action of a man who doesn't consider trans people, you know, equal or right or valid or good or worth saving and preserving and protecting. And that's my frustration is I think now, Abby, humor and offense, it's not so much that people are offended. It's the fact that by acting offended, you get stuff mm. in this day. I'm mad. I want to raise. I want yeah. a promotion. You hurt my feeling, you know. Offense has become currency and that's you, where it's dangerous. Do you think that there are some people who are more immune to cancel culture when it comes to comedy than other people? Yeah, if you lean to the left, you know, if you are a traditionally a member of a protected class, because understand, like Dave Chappelle has been canceled. I mean, if that's being canceled, he has a hundred million dollars in the bank, right? And he's performing. And he still was on he, a he's the perfor- Netflix. He's performing at the next exactly. Netflix comedy special. Yeah, I mean, they tried to cancel him, but they couldn't cancel him ultimately, um, because this is what happened. There was a time, probably you know, in the last four or five years, where we figured out who the people doing the canceling are. Mm. In the beginning, we didn't know, like, do we all feel this way? You know, is this like, is this something I should be doing? You know, do you remember that time when Twitter first started where the country would get out of bed every morning and be like, who are we mad at? Whose life are we about to ruin and why? I don't know this person. I didn't even see what they did. But but what hashtag am I aiming my bile at today to destroy a human being? And uh, in the beginning, I think there were a lot of people who participated in that because they didn't want to be on the wrong side of one of these mobs. And they just thought maybe it was like the new way of doing business. But cancel culture per se has always been a tyranny of the minority. It's been a small group of people that are a-holes. They are. I mean, yeah. if you're, think about this. This is the, the premise I always give in a comedy club. I say, I'm going to tell a bunch of jokes tonight, okay? You guys had a long day, you know, you're overpaying for gas, whatever the heck's going on in your life. I'm going to try to distract you from that in the interest of showing you a good time. Someone here could potentially disagree with one of my points and try to destroy my ability to make a living. Who's the bad guy here? Is it distract the whole room from the horrors of the world or kill the guy who wants to distract the whole room from the horrors of the world? If you break it down to that, I think people are starting to see the equation more clearly. And I think that's why they're losing their power. And I think you're exactly right about this sort of being uh, kind of a more focused group. We are going on Cavuto after mm-hmm. this, Neil Cavuto show. And we're talking about um, how people are trying to cancel Christmas movies yeah. and because of, you know, toxic masculinity and they're targeting it's a wonderful Wonderful life, and they're mm. targeting uh, the holiday, which don't mess with the holiday. All right, I will come <laughs> after you. I will cancel you for coming after the holiday. So it is, and I have to remind myself that, you know, these are people on the internet. They're trying to ruffle people's feathers. I'm not going to give you all my talking points ahead of this hit so that you don't, <laughs> you don't steal them. Stop it, Hornacek. <laughs> no, but I, I am curious. Um, then when it comes to comedy, you are trying to distract people from 
the horrors and those things that you're, you're talking about. But do you think that there is a point where you can take it too far? Yes, if you're coming from a place of malice. Mm. You know, a lot of comics hide behind freedom of speech. They're like, oh, I can say whatever I want, freedom of speech. You can, but freedom of speech comes with a basic responsibility. Yes. So if you go to a comedy well club and you don't make clear to the audience that, hey, I don't mean anything by this. I mean, in this day and age, it's, it's incumbent upon us to establish that. Hey, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm trying to crush anybody. If I make fun of somebody who's in a marginalized class per se, it's because you're treating them as an equal. It's one of the bigger problems that people don't understand about comedy. It's like when we're in a club, if we're making fun of you, that means you're just like everybody else. If you can't be made fun of, that's not a quality. That's you're lesser than. You're lesser than me. Oh, you're a trans person? We can't make fun of you. What do you mean? I wouldn't want to be treated that way. My grandmother was a double amputee later in life, and she used to get, she'd make, you know, a lot of self deprecating jokes. I remember she was on a share a ride bus. It was uh, in the middle of a snowstorm and we got to her house and she goes to the driver. She goes, it's the one with no footprints in the snow. That was just really <laughs> funny. And she said, you got your humor from her. And again, the guy was horrified. And she goes, he goes, hey, hey. She's like, I lost my legs. I didn't lose my sense of humor. And I was like, that's Aww. amazing. And she shouldn't. We love, we love no, she's great. Kayla. But that's the point. That's how you roll. And um, I think for comics, though, what they need to establish is that, yes, everyone should be in play if you're going to the comedy club because you want to be an equal. But everyone should know you are not up there just being inflammatory to be inflammatory. And some comics do do that. And that's a bigger right. problem. You know, well, totally. I mean, I know you well. Um, and if you were to come at me with jokes, if you were to do a roast of me, I would never think it's coming from malice. Or maybe there's some deep hidden malice in Man, there somewhere. Man, I am good. I am good. You did make you me come think. to my podcast in your studio. It was so. not the power move it looked like. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love the studio. It's great. I get, a, I get a look at a football that you made when you were 15. I was in sixth grade when I saw sixth that. Sixth grade. Most people assume they're like, oh, you made that in first grade. That's really nice. Says Jim. Like, no, I was 13. You go by Jimmy now. That's interesting. I know. Well, but I you just ran out of thread. No, you think of it this way. Lazy kid wants to sew less and be done with the there project. There you go. I've never gone by Jim anywhere, <laughs> but that was perfect. Three well, two less letters. That's I agree. It, it was smart. Mm -hmm. Very smart of you. Um, <laughs> so if we're going to talk about some other comedians mm -hmm. who have kind of who have said some things. We talk about people who are immune. I wouldn't think that Eddie Murphy is canceled at this no, point. No, he's doing Shrek movies. He's if doing Shrek doing movies. If you're doing Pixar films, you're not canceled. And here it is. I'm looking I'm looking at this right now. He made several insensitive comments about gay men dying of AIDS. Mm -hmm. Sarah Silverman actually did blackface. Oh, absolutely. Um, so did Tina Fey. Jimmy what, Kimmel. Four episodes of her hit sitcom included characters wearing blackface. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. Why have they not been... Tra traditionally because Cancel. they belong to the right political party. I mean, think the governor of Virginia mm. admitted to wearing a Klan robe in his college yearbook and then backed it up a right. day later and said, actually, it wasn't me. I might have been the guy in the blackface. Oh, in that <laughs> case, I'm sorry. In that case, you're off the hook. I didn't realize you were on the level this whole time. <laughs> and I think a lot of it has to do with be belonging to the right political party. But also, sometimes uh, you can survive the fact that the a lot of these indiscretions happened a long time ago. Yeah. They have repented and joined the chorus calling for censored comedy. The people who want to censor comedy are the ones who are usually guilty of the most egregious offenses. And they're trying to score currency, almost like a redemption for their past offenses, by saying, but from now on. I'm with you, witch hunt people. Let's go out and destroy some comedians. Right. And it's sad, man, because comedy was just never, ever, ever supposed to be taken that serious. The people telling you jokes are the most broken people in society. We are a land of misfit toys. We're employed an hour a day. We spend 23 hours in the La Quinta watching dirty movies. That's what most of them are doing. I'm not kidding. And uh, it's if you're lucky, you're at a La Quinta. You're usually in like some local room, uh, some local hotel that has like 30 dimples in it from where the cops battery rammed it down the night before to get the... <laughs> 
the teenage runaway that was cooking meth. I'm not kidding. <laughs> was that you? Not, 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 I wasn't cooking it, but uh, per se. You okay. were selling, I got Don't it. get high on your own supply. Um, <laughs> but the point is we've given comedy too high of a meeting. And I think that's part of the problem is we're conflating jokes, genuine jokes with social statements. Like and when Chappelle tells a joke about a trans community, he's not saying get them. He's not saying I don't like them. He's not saying they don't belong. He's just saying these are observations I've made. That's what comedy is. It's recess time, but we'll be back soon. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. What does it mean? Well, first of all, I should clarify. Tina Fey, mm-hmm. um, she herself did not wear blackface. Yeah, the show she, did. The show yeah. had people wearing blackface. Um, so then... Maybe this is common. I read this online, so you tell me if it's mm-hmm. true or not. But a term that's common amongst comedians is always punch up, never punch down. What does that mean? No, it's not amongst comedians. It's just amongst people who are trying to set the rules for comedians that know nothing about it. I see. It's like sabermetrics. You know, in like Moneyball, you know, in, in baseball, they have all these new stats that make people yeah. who can play baseball seem like good players. Well, he can't run or throw, but he takes a lot of pitches. They, they just design these new rules. Look how he works the count. Yeah, but he doesn't get on base. You know, It's not as helpful as you think if he strikes out every time. But he doesn't hit into a double play. Yeah, but he strikes out every time. And what they're doing to comedians is they're coming up with all these benchmark rules. Again, it's not about punching anywhere, but punch line. Punch funny. Be good. Okay? When you put someone in a protected class of people, they are no longer being treated as as an equal. So when you are punching down, you just have to punch down from a place of goodwill. It's not like, oh, look at these junky homeless people. In New York, every comic that starts in New York is a lot of homeless people, writes jokes about them because they think it's like it's the easiest way to be like, well, I'm better than you. But it's very uncomfortable for us because we all have a lot of empathy for the homeless people. Mm-hmm. So it's not, that's where you look bad for punching down. But if you can punch down in a way that is actually like just, just distilling some type of universal truth that clearly showcases the fact that you don't look down on these people, you don't want to harm these people, you can do a joke about anything. I've done jokes about the most heinous, hideous things you've ever heard heard um but i smile a lot and it yeah, works there you go as long as you smile that's all so okay you're talking about kind of the intent behind the joke mm-hmm. um if you take away that intent are there jokes that are completely off limits in today's world maybe not no 10 years ago no no joke is off limits no if it's funny and it comes from a good place not in a comedy club man okay. it is and I, I i'm honestly like i say a lot of stuff right now it's so much fun a lot of people would disagree with me on that because they say, oh, certain things you can't joke about anymore. And in theory, you're absolutely taking a risk. You know, you could get, but I'm saying my personal opinion mm-hmm. is if you are on stage and you say to them, hey, I am a nice human. <laughs> I've I got swear. a beagle. <laughs> I've got like an Xbox. I'm just like a dude trying to pay bills, tell you a couple of I jokes. I have a homemade uh, you, football yeah, still sitting you, on my yeah, desk from when can, I was in eighth you, grade. Yeah, sixth grade. <laughs> sixth grade. I keep you, messing you know, that up. I know. You can buy a lot of currency, but the challenge is, Everybody who, you know, likes to go out and be like, I'm a shock jock. I do controversial stuff. Those people are rolling the dice only because if you do tell the one joke that goes too far and you have an entire body of work that also went too far, but you got away with it, no one gives you the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? So you've got to do this stuff responsibly. But the sadness of our time is you could be a guy who did 30 years of clean comedy. 
told one offensive joke. You donated your whole salary to children's hospitals for 30 years, but they're like, fire him. Get him out of here. <laughs> That's the problem with the mob is they're idiots. And there's no real like we need sentencing guidelines. That's what we need, Abby. If we were going to help society, we need to say that from now on, if you do this wrong, that happens. Right now, we live in a society where if you run afoul of the Twitter mob as a politician, as a comedian, as an actress, as someone, as a Kardashian on Instagram. OK, we want the, the we want the death penalty to be the only sentence. You know, you never work again. You're canceled. You can't get hired. You can't get advertising. We need to find a sentencing guideline. Oh, you said that? That's like two weeks suspended without pay. Or that's, you know, you don't get to do this thing. It shouldn't all be universal condemnation because there's nowhere to go but all of us ultimately getting eaten by this thing. Right. Do you, uh, so I've noticed a lot with comedians, they tell jokes, kind of how you were saying with with the homeless people. Mm -hmm. Um, People who came from that and maybe were homeless, they are more likely to maybe make a joke about being homeless. Do you think it makes it better as a comedian to make jokes if you have experienced that yourself? Yes, absolutely. You buy a lot of currency with the audience. Like if I got on stage and was like, look at these Jewish people, that sounds pretty anti-Semitic. Yeah. But if you're Jewish and you're like, well, we did this every year at Hanukkah and you make fun of it, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just to be clear, I wasn't the one who said, look at these Jewish people. That was Abby. She, does a, <laughs> she throws her voice really well. It's a ventriloquist act. I kid, I kid. I'm, I'm good at impersonations. She's that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I mean, I I just I think about also the comedians who have made a joke Mm -hmm. and sometimes they double down right away, but then they end up apologizing. What do you think of comedians who end up apologizing for a joke? that They they never, ever should, because you can't appease the people that are demanding your apology. Mm. You don't. You know, when they say, like, don't bend the knee, it sounds dramatic, but it's true. There's nobody who ever apologizes and survives because of it. You know what I mean? It's like you're just tipping the executioner. Hey, can you be a little nicer to me with that axe? You know, <laughs> can you get it off in one clean shot? And that's my bigger problem is like when you apologize, you're legitimizing the fact that we should be apologizing for trying to opiate the masses with humor. Again, comedians are here to help. Somehow, somehow, some way, we are living in a world where we're now treating the clowns as the threat to society. They're jokes. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Names will never hurt me. We don't do that now. We do it the other way. That names. phrase cannot be more wrong in today's world. Oh my that, God, uh, Words will never hurt yeah, me. Yeah, like, <laughs> words. words? Oh my goodness. Who's words this hurt animal? people more than sticks and stones yeah, way nowadays. More. I would yeah. be, if I walked on stage tonight and hit the audience with rocks, I wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> but there are like seven words I could call them that I would be fired before the end of my set. Like, oh, he threw rocks. He's a provocateur. I like it. It's performance art. You know? I don't know if I will attend one of your comedy shows. It's for the best. Maybe I, yeah. No, I would. I would actually love to. You're a comedian. I, I love. I love hearing. Hey, girl. Now you're talking. You read that exactly the way I wrote it down on the <laughs> index card. So thank you. And I, I also you. pocketed that twenty that you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> what about normal people? Like, you know, I'm not a comedian. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Being a comedian kind of gives you an out to be able to make a joke that me, as someone who is not a comedian, cannot make. Traditionally, it used to, uh, but now it really does depend on the news cycle, your political affiliations, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but I think what I think what's happened is. I think we're holding everybody to the same standard, which is dangerous. And what I mean by that is not necessarily a you and me. 
But we're holding comedians to the standard of like senators, elected officials, mm. corporate CEOs. And like, no, no, no. Like we are supposed to be the last bastion in society where anything goes. We are supposed to be a rhetorical red light district. I say this a lot in comedy clubs. I say the way comedy clubs work is like we say this stupid stuff so you don't screw up, say it at work and get fired. Yeah, so, that's so good. We're here. You're helping. <laughs> well, that's what we're in trying to do. And, but that really is what comedy is supposed to be. But now we're holding it to the standard of the boardroom. And it's not supposed to be. Is there a two drink minimum in the boardroom? Because I'll <laughs> hang out. I'll start going to the meetings. I skip all these meetings. There you go. You know, but that's what it is. I think we need to realize there can't be a, a one size fits all society for anything. Yeah. Have you ever told a joke that you went back and you're like, ooh, I'm going to get canceled for that? Uh, not canceled, but per se, when you start out as a comic, you're filthy a lot of times because it's where the easiest laughs are. But the thing is, when you first start doing comedy, the way to get on stage is clubs will put you on if you bring five audience members. That's how they're called bringer shows. So every comic, there's 20 comics on the show. They all brought five guests who bought drinks. And now there's 100 people in the audience. And that's how they Genius. can justify putting you on stage. That's so a huge market that pays the rent in most New York City comedy. That's why clubs. you're here. I offered you two drinks and you decided to do my podcast. Strong ones. That's all it took. Strong ones. Yeah, and right. she waited till I drank them before she asked. <laughs> me to come You'll on. You'll start slurring soon. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So um, in the beginning, because you're performing for family and friends, but you're also the most vile version of yourself you'll ever be, you realize you're subjecting them to a lot of things nobody should sit through. Wait, I actually bring up a good point. Mm-hmm. I watch comedians sometimes. They're like, oh, by the way, my mom's in the audience. Sorry, mom. Yeah, yeah. How do you get past that? Oh, it's awkward. I got to tell you, on my 50th birthday, my 50th birthday, I'm not 50, my mom, when my mom turned 50, um, I'm 43, uh, when my mom turned 50, we took it to the comic strip live and there was a kid on stage just doing 30 minutes on how he was obsessed with hooking up with 50 year old women because they were like the most frisky ones. <laughs> I didn't even know it was her birthday, but it just, it went on for like 20 minutes of all the hideous things 50 year old women do in the sack. And it was amazing. And then finally, like someone at our table just was in such a state of like laughter slash like seizure because yeah. it was funny. And they were like, it's her 50th birthday. And then everyone died and then just made fun of that for another 20 minutes and now my mom was the subject of sexual ridicule in front of our whole family. Happy birthday, mom. Oh, great. I know. (laughs) But that's the joy of live comedy. That's why we need to protect it is that, have you ever gone on that ride at Six Flags where it's like, it's like a Roaring Rapids ride where we're all sitting in a circle in the water. Two of you are going to wind up going under the water floor and walking around in 12 pound soaked sneakers for the rest of the day. And it smells a little Uh, awful. That is a comedy club. Okay. One of you might wind up under the, under the waterfall and it'll be something for the rest of your lives. You laugh at like, remember the time, you know, they were pretending you were like a drunk stewardess, Abby. And I don't know why they had to pretend, but I mean, (laughs) again, but the point is is, my MO. Yeah. But you walk around with it with the, that's the beauty of live performance. And that's why I try to protect it so much because I know it helps people. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people come up to me after comedy shows be like oh you know that thing you were talking about like I just went through that in my family like you really helped and you realize as, as a comedian you have healing powers if you're willing to use I them for that. good why yeah. go to a therapist if you can go to a comedy oh, show oh it's way better I, I agree and it's way no one cheaper laughs. no one laughs in therapy no no chance but they laugh in comedy oh clubs. they laugh in therapy the minute you leave <laughs> yeah like you believe her <laughs> making her man put on the viking helmet again <laughs> alright Abby clean up your act <laughs> therapists would be great comedians from everything that they've heard oh, probably Ever. Just yeah. read the diary, girl. <laughs> well, if you're if you're doing your routine, and obviously you probably had something prepared, but then you see someone in the audience, like your mom, mm-hmm. it's her 50th birthday, and you can pick on her, mm-hmm. do you think you're more likely to get canceled maybe for something that you said off the cuff? Because you're not thinking it through probably. There, this is the thing, and no one talks about this. You make a, It's a really good question about comedy. 
is there's a difference Thanks, between Jimmy. it is though it's a, there's a difference between a, who who wrote that but I'm kidding <laughs> you're the best so there's a difference between it was a, written on the wall behind you <laughs> there's yeah. a, there's a difference between a bit and a riff a bit is this is something in your act you do every night it's written it's planned at some point during the conversation I'll come out and make a joke about it a riff is what you just described you're talking to somebody in the crowd oh you're a dentist huh and now you make some joke about being a dentist that might be hideous and beyond the pale mm-hmm. and something that spontaneously occurred to you in your head so I do think there should be different levels of offense for whether this was a pre-planned attack or just something that went off the rails. But me and you are in the minority on that if that's how we feel. Because most people, there's no appetite for like nuance anymore. Like no one thinks about other circumstances. It's just like, oh, we can ruin this guy. Let's ruin him. Right. We're all like, we have, the phone has given everybody too much, like such a staggering sense of self-importance. Like, oh, I don't agree with this. He should be gone forever. (laughs) We're all like a dictator now. people think that they have the power then because they do Mm -hmm. to ruin someone's life. Yes, but it's a tyranny of the minority. Whenever you hear like Twitter's outrage, it's like seven guys with three followers yeah. and egg profiles. And those are what makes make the headline. And they probably are a little bit more aggressive in their opinion because they want to make the headline. So we're Thank pretty you. much helping them. You get it. Yeah. We're feeding a beast that would ultimately devour us if we let it. So then when you're writing a bit, mm-hmm. do you, before you perform it, do you kind of read it over and, and think, okay, is this coming from... Good intent or mal- like, do, do you really yes. scrutinize your routine yes. over and over again yes. just to and make sure? But here's why it has more to do with the efficacy rate of the joke than anything. It's that comedy for real is about learning how to package your ideas in a shorthand that everyone in the room who's never met you before will understand. Follow me so far? Mm-hmm. Everybody's a friend who's like, ah, oh, you know, George in accounting should be a comedian. He's so funny. But the reason George sucks as a comedian is because when he gets in a room with 300 strangers, they don't know all the references from your accounting department. They don't speak the same shorthand that makes George so funny in your accounting department, but so impossible to follow in a broad sense. So you're always scrutinizing what you write to make sure everyone's going to, are they going to get this? You know, every joke has an actuary table, a percent, a percentage chance of working. You're trying to get this stuff up to 100%. The way to get it up to 100% is to make sure you're communicating it in a way that implies what you want them to follow. You dig? Yes. Jokes are trapdoors. You need the people standing where you want them to be for the punchline. If they're standing two feet over, <laughs> you just got an awkward situation. That's such a great point that I never thought of because you are performing in front of strangers. I mean, yeah, you might have some friends and family in, in the audience. Mostly strangers. Mostly strangers. And you don't know their humor. Mm-hmm. You don't know their background. They don't know you, more importantly, unless yeah, they've yeah. watched you on Netflix a bunch of times. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you have to cater your joke to those people. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. Yeah, it's everything. But it's really, it's just about communication and part of making the communication effective is the atmosphere you project on stage. You have to, you know, hey, I'm cool. It's me. What are we talking about here? Nobody's going to hurt anybody. We're all going to be fine. Anyway, screw these people. (laughs) You're like, I love it. Screw these people. Kind of about your delivery. Yeah. Right? I I, I think about that because like when when we play Apples to Apples or like Cards Against Humanity, Mm -hmm. it's so interesting to see what, whoever's the judge, Uh what card they choose as the funniest. And sometimes I'm like, why did that win? Like my card was hilarious. Oh, that's funny. You know? That and so I'm really, like, yeah. maybe I could never be a comedian because I think I'm funny, but no, other no. people don't think so. No. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, you'd, Aww, be, you'd be fantastic. Smile a lot for real. There you go. I want to, could I write you an act? You do everything else on Fox nation. Could we do like Abby, yes. Le- Abby learns comedy. I would love that. I, are you guys writing that down? Can I tell you really quick? You don't know this about me. So okay. I used to be a head writer for a TV show called Gotham comedy live. And it was on, um, the guy, they filmed it at the Gotham comedy club down the block and it was on access TV. But my job as a comic who had been on the show a lot was to write a monologue each week for a celebrity who wasn't a comic. 
So like William Shatner and David Hasselhoff, Pamela Anderson, like somebody like that, they would give me like four days to turn them into a comedian. That's so I could like genius. so turn you into a comedian it would be the funniest thing in the we'll world. We'll do it as a podcast and we'll simultaneously pipe it into Fox Nation. I feel like you just dialed down my ambition for the project. We'll do it as a podcast. <laughs> was like, yeah, give me a call. It's 555 Mostly because I, <laughs> because I don't want to get canceled. No, you wouldn't. I'd write, I'd write you clean stuff. You're Abby Hornacek. Come on. You are America's sweetheart. Can Not America, imagine? America with an apostrophe. Well, that means that we have the opportunity to shock the world. Thank you. That's true. We could go the other way. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I love that idea and I'm wholeheartedly in. It's going to work. Yeah. You'll see. Um, you'll be the next host of Parked when I get fired. <laughs> that, well, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, I've seen too many driving videos as the next cabbie. I must resent <laughs> it on some level without realizing it. I'm going to take you out from within. It's a coup. But this is good. You can be the next host of Ride to Work then since thank you're you. used to driving. That, thank you. There you go. Now you're talking. Um, well, Jimmy, you've been the best as oh, always. Buddy. And next time we'll do a roast. I'll let you roast me and then you'll write me <laughs> a comedy routine and I'll uh, perform it. How's it's that? It's going to be amazing. All right. Well, Thank you so much for inviting me into your lovely studio and doing Getting Schooled. It was glorious. We'll always have this. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Jimmy Fela. Number one, I asked Jimmy, how do you toe the line of being offensive and being funny? He said it's all about the intent behind your joke. You cross a line if there's malice behind your words, but if you're smiling and coming from a place of good intention, then that's when you're typically in the clear. Number two, to follow up on number one, Jimmy says he always likes to prime the crowd first. He says, look, this is comedy. I'm a nice guy. I'm not attacking anyone, and it's my job to make you laugh, which brings me to number three. People work through trauma with comedy. That's why comedy is so important. Jimmy points out that it's a comic's job to make people laugh and forget about their troubles for a little while. And that's where we absolutely have to protect comedy. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on cancel culture and the world of comedy. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.